Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends. Uh, episode 64 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, I'm Gary, and as usual, I'm here with uh, Byron. How are you doing today, Byron? Gary, I'm doing great. That is good to hear. Um, hey, today, uh, all you listeners, uh, we got a treat for you. We've got an interview with uh, Dave Camarillo, and uh, you can't get anybody uh, more talented uh, to talk to as, as we got this week. So uh, it's going to be an awesome episode. Yeah, very interesting interview. He talks a lot about jujitsu, a little about MMA, and a lot about self-defense and, and, and different aspects of the martial arts in general. So really interesting inter- interview. So definitely stay tuned and uh, check out that part of the show. Good times. Gary, did you have a good uh, Christmas and New Year's? Christmas and New Year's, good as always. How about you? Good. Good. Yeah. It's been busy. Now it's time to... Uh, it's time to get back into training mode, uh, take a little bit of time off to enjoy the holidays, and now it's time to uh, to get ready and start training. Gary, I got to know, did you stay up until midnight and celebrate New Year's? <laughs> I made it to the East Coast, even though we're in the Midwest. <laughs> so uh, I went to bed uh, a little after 11 o'clock Central Standard Time. So I did not make it. Did make it, man. Well, that's all right. I, I actually uh, I was at work and uh, we had. So you probably did. It was a busy night. We had we had two. Uh, it's called first in fire. I'm a firefighter. If you haven't uh, listened to the show before, not that I mention every show, but um, <laughs> every other show. But um, had, we had two first in fires. That means they're real close to the station, and and when uh, one of them was like a actually that one the second one wasn't a first in fire, but uh, it was it came out like a, like eleven forty five. So. At midnight, I don't know what I was doing, but it was something to do with that fire. So, so you did make it. So yeah, you beat me. I, I guess. So, what about training? Have you uh, kept up your training, or you've had to slow down a little bit due to the holidays? It's definitely it slowed me down. It, I, I, you got to be honest. Um, between the weather and uh, and the holidays and, and family stuff, that's that's how it goes. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. I will, I will hopefully start back full time and really turn it up this week. Sounds good, man. It's that's just part of any any long journey. It's going to have little ups and downs, and time to get and back actually, on the up. I don't know. Sometimes I think of the uh, taking a little bit of time off training makes my game a little bit better. Allows me to heal. Gets my uh, uh, how do I say it. Uh, the joy back. I can't wait to get back into the gym and start training. So uh, a lot of times I find out uh, I'm a little bit better coming off a break. Yeah. It's it's important that you are looking forward to it. And if you're going every every day, every day, you kind of forget what you're doing is, is a lot of fun. If you miss a little bit and you start to miss it, then it's fun again. Yeah. When you start missing it, that's uh, the best time ever. Gary, I want to remind everybody that um, they can hop on our email list. Uh, they can go to our Facebook page or they can go to the website, bjjbrick.com. There's a little sign-up form. You just enter your name and email. And every Tuesday, we'll send out an email with uh, notes to the podcast and also has a link to two free audiobooks. One of them is called How to Compete in a BJJ Tournament, Even If You Are Busy. The other one is called Tilt, How to Make Your BJJ Game More Balanced. So, And we have got some good feedback on the tilt, uh, so uh, definitely you want to check it out. Uh, those little uh, 
those little uh, articles or ebooks there will definitely uh, help your game out. So uh, Byron put those together, and uh, as we know, Byron's a wealth of information. <laughs> it's like a little, uh, it's, it's like a shorter audio podcast. It's nothing super crazy, but if you want a little bit more BJJ Brick, that's a good place to go and get get a little bit more action. And then you'll always get an email to remind you so you don't miss an episode. That's right. Gary, uh, we would have a quote of the week from last week's guest, but last week it was you and me talking about myths. So does that mean we got to come up with our own quote? Yes, it does, and I got one here. Okay, good. Okay, this is an English proverb. It says, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. You know, that that is awesome. I, I really like that one. That is, is so true. You've... Uh, that rough sea, you're going to get put in a lot of pos- positions or that you're you're not familiar with. You're going to have to make a lot of split-second decisions. You're going to have to think quick to uh, to sail your boat. Yep. It's, I mean, keeping with the boat theme, you know, if, if, if all you do is sail across a little pond every day, you're not really getting better at sailing. You know, you, you get it to get to a certain point where you can read the winds or whatever. I, I don't know anything about boating, but you get to a certain point and then you level off. But if you're out there on, on a rough sea occasionally, you get your, your, it matters. You know, your skills uh, start to get better. You know, sink or swim, literally. Or not even swim, sink or float. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like stepping up in competition. You're all of a sudden in the novice category in the beginner and then all of a sudden you're going against a, a world champion it's you're stepping up your game you're you've got to learn that much more you've got to react that much quicker your game's got to be on your cardio's got to be there your your whole game's got to be there to to keep going yeah that's a heck of a step up there gary i would i would say like <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're just okay, if you stay in the novice from, category go from novice to intermediate there you go beginner to intermediate we'll go you got one. high hopes there you got yeah, quick access yeah. hopefully there's not a world champion in the intermediate division they sneak down there sometimes to get the medal yeah but uh but like if you're just gonna do novice all the time that's your smoothest seat you're you're only gonna get as good i mean as far as competition goes pushing yourself further will, will be a way to make yourself a a better grappler and it's the same thing in practice you can go go to your gym practice every day and just go with the same training partners normally on the other side of the room there's there's a bunch of other guys waiting for you sometimes you may not go with a certain person because that person's so good you know step out of your comfort zone go go jump it go jump in with a purple belts go jump in with a brown belts just go out there and just give it everything you've got yeah don't don't just roll with the guys that and gals that don't don't give you a hard time make sure people are pushing you yeah and that's the only way we're going to get better we need to be pushed we need that rough sea Yep, so that's an English proverb. I, proverb. I don't know who said it, but there it is. Well, we're saying Byron Jabara said it today, so <laughs> we're giving you credit. Uh, before I forget this interview with Dave here, um, we talk a little bit about MMA, and um, this interview happened, I, we, I just got to say, it was December 30th, so it was before any of the uh, – before the UFC Daniel won. Corby yeah, John Jones fight. So it was, it was. We don't talk a lot about that, but we just kind of reference it maybe once or twice. I can't remember for sure, but just it was before that. And now that the podcast airs, it's going to be a little after that. So just a heads up, guys. Well, Gary, the music is telling us it's time for the article of the week. That's right, my man. Uh, MMA one two one dot com had a very interesting uh, article or research or whatever you want to call it 
Um, they found the top five submissions in MMA slash UFC. Basically, UFC is what it sounds like. Yeah, it looks like it's just UFC competitions where they're taking the taking the data. Yeah, it's got. You know, I'm looking at this, and Gary finds the article that came out like a few days after this one with with new information. <laughs> hey, so we'll start with the first one and move on to the uh, update. So they they take the top five submissions. And that they account for 80% of all the submissions that happen in the UFC. So, like, you know, if we talk about, you know, what is a BJJ brick? Is it, It's a move that you could smash with. Like, one of your best moves would be your bricks. These are these are kind of bricks for the majority of the people that, that are getting submissions in the UFC. The biggest one is uh, rear naked choke at 33%. And you do see a lot of fights finished with the rear naked choke. A guy gets hit, he's mounted, he starts taking some taking some punches, he he rolls over, rear naked choke, game over. Yeah. And it's and it's just that position is from the back, even with those gloves on, is that they're not a good enough uh handle or you know, it, it makes it harder to choke with his gloves, but still it's such a dominant position. And you see yeah. tons of submissions in actually you know in, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu from the back. Just yeah, like, yeah, definitely. The second one, Gary. Second one, we got the guillotine choke, and, and same thing. You see that hit a lot. You can hit it off a takedown. You can you can hit it basically from anywhere, mounted. So uh, you see a lot of guillotine chokes. Then the next one down here. The, is, this is the only one that's on this list that's not a choke, which says something about chokes, I think. But armbar, seventeen percent. And I'm going to guess most of those are from. Well, I don't know if most of them are from top or from guard. A lot of yeah. guys don't go for the armbars on the top when they can. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be curious to see how many are from the bottom, how many from the top. But I don't know. I think I see more from the bottom. What do you think? I, I think, well, with Ronda Rousey having like a ton. Ronda Rousey's in it from the top. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, she, she might I, skew I those numbers. <laughs> Individual well, you, fighters can affect these numbers sometimes. But, you know, th- th- this, I guess this is for all-time MMA because they, they have over, they're looking at 654 submissions. So that's that's not just for the short time that Ronda Rousey's been in. It is for everybody. So it, I think it's more um, oh, encompassing so this, than that. This isn't just for 2014. This, this is for all time. Okay. So the other article that is the same website, but it's uh, it's just 2014, which is very okay. interesting. The last one, Gary. No, the second to last one, I guess. We got the triangle joke and. A lot of triangle chokes, especially, well, you don't see very many mounted triangle chokes. I think most of them are, are from the bottom, but there's another choke. Even uh, even though it's you're choking with the legs, there's uh, another choke to add to the rear naked choke and the, the guillotine. Yep. And then arm triangle choke. I don't recall seeing arm triangle chokes from the bottom from a guard. Uh, I'm sure there's been a couple, but I can't think of any offhand. Uh, vast majority are going to be from side control, switching from one side across the t- the mount and then to the other side. Yep. Um, that's how I, you know, I can't, I guess I haven't seen the numbers on that, but most of them are going to be from top. But yeah, tons. definitely. I think they're probably all going to be from the top. So, I mean, especially at the UFC. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in some lower level organizations, you could see a arm triangle from the bottom, but that's a uh, few and far between. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I, if anybody watched the UFC last night, there was a, an attempt on somebody's or a standing arm triangle standing there was an attempt it didn't finish but uh, don't see that very often that, yeah 
I I did not see you, UFC one eighty two. Was it? Who are you talking about? To be honest, I don't know the number, okay. but it was uh, Jones and uh, Cormier. Yeah, it was um, uh, the Louis Godno against uh, somebody. I can't even remember his name, but uh, they were up against the cage. He kind of got that arm caught, you know, went for a little kind of head and arm, and then actually jumped up to pull guard, but the guy got out of it very easy. Huh. That's that's interesting. I like to see that one. I haven't yep. seen that, but I think that would be very tricky, and, it, and, and the person's height would be a significant factor in your ability to pull that off. Yeah. What submissions were you surprised that really didn't make it in here? In the top, in the top five, I don't know. I think yeah. they're all in there. I thought I would see a footlock. See, a I, I thought so too. Maybe a heel hook, but you know, I guess with Paul Harris fighting now in World Series of Fighting, yeah, and this is all you know, time. Dean Lister, um, yeah, yeah. It's just it just goes to show you that if your submission that you like a lot is not on this list, you go tell Paul Harris that leg locks aren't worth aren't worth studying <laughs> and, and working on. You know, uh, you could the submissions work. It's up for you to figure out how to get them to work into, you know, if they're appropriate for your MMA game. But you know, he he'll just die for those legs, and and it works. He's got he chains a couple of them together, and, he's, yeah. and then he waits longer than I would like before he releases the submission. It's kind of a unfortunate yeah. deal, but well, you know, it's coming. He, he, you know, when you get in a when you're in the cage against uh, Rusemir Paul Harris, you you know he's coming after your legs, and he'll even shoot for a double and just pull guard right from there. Yeah, and, uh, you know it's coming, and and it's still still very very hard to stop. Yeah. So and then Gary found this article that was the uh, what was it the top five of 2014? Yeah, I guess it was uh, the top five of 2014, and it said that the uh, the uh, triangle choke is out. Of the top five, and Kamora took its place, and it basically says uh, uh, the Kamora submission is stolen the stolen the fifth place spot, and Triangle is switched to sixth. And it said in 2014 there has been four Kamora submissions and three Triangle chokes. You know, not not a whole bunch of them, but it was also saying that the Triangle had had been in there since. What two, the last ten years had been in the top five, and you know, I was talking about can the triangle choke make a comeback and get itself back in the top five submissions. And the day that this article came out, they said there's eight more scheduled events left in 2014, so it's it's possible it could tie or or maybe even take the lead. And I'm trying to think of last night. I don't think there was a Kimura or a uh, triangle. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how. Like the meta, how how everyone's doing things changes um, with the with the seasons and with the with different people who are in there. But but still, rear naked choke forty four percent. That's almost half of the submissions are going to be rear naked choke. Yeah. What do you think about going back to when you first started training? I tell you, the first three submissions I probably learned were the rear naked choke, the guillotine choke, and the armbar. Top three, right? That's there. your fundamental. That's your basics, right there, Gary. Yeah. Yep. I mean, really, those were the first three submissions I learned. That's cool. And uh, I would like to see – still, I don't know what's from the back. You know, The guillotines probably are more often from the back than from the, from the top. Um, the armbar, I don't know. Oh, yeah, from the back. Yeah. No, from, from your back. I don't know, or top or bottom. You know what I mean? Like it would be interesting yeah, to decide I, I the position. Yeah, I top. I mean people still do hit the, hit the guillotine from the top. But it's, it doesn't seem as common. Or standing. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. So – 
that would that would be interesting. Uh, yeah, I'd like to, to see it broken further. down a little bit more, and I know it has to have been, but uh, just the article we read didn't have it have it broken down any farther. Yeah, so, very cool article, very very interesting, uh, and 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 to compare the two, that's that's yeah. fun. Yep. And I think it's crazy too. I mean, I started watching the UFC with UFC two, so I've been watching it a long time, and it seems like early days, and, and I mean. Everybody wasn't skilled, you know. Jujitsu was kind of a unknown art, but there were a lot of submissions back in the days. Versus today, everybody's so skilled. The submissions, they know what to look for. They, they everybody's seen it. It's a little bit harder to uh, pull off submissions, I think, than it was back in the early days. Yeah, Gary, my friend, it's been a long time since I've seen a gi choke in the octagon. Yeah, I remember a uh, uh, hoist tapping out. Shamrock. Yep, that's the one I can remember too. Yep. I, there's probably been a couple others, but yeah, well, the, I can't remember <laughs> when the last time I've seen somebody wear a gi and actually fight in it. Well, yeah. I don't think they probably allowed it. Yeah, it's against the rules. Yeah, so that's kind of yeah. funny. Gary, before we get uh, to the interview, a uh, couple guys we got to thank and talk about. Uh, Roy Marsh has a uh, guillotine tips or a guillotine seminar he did a little while back. It's a video available for download. Um, I'll put a link to it on on the show notes. Um, it's a little over an hour long, and uh, you could get it and support him and, and what he's doing. But uh, we'll play a clip from Roy Marsh and get you guys a guillotine hit for this episode, and we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. So here goes. This is Roy Marsh with a guillotine tip. The one thing you want to remember when you have a very good uh, submission is it's not just the submission that changes your game; it's the threat of the submission. Um, I want the person to be afraid to ever bring his head forward. And so whether he's passing my guard or whether I'm passing his guard, if he's ever leading with his head, I want to make sure to at least scare him with the threat of the guillotine and causes him to back up. So if he's passing my guard, he's either going to lead with his hands and try to control my upper body, in which case he has to, use his, he has to basically try to pass my legs without controlling my legs, or he has to use his hands to control my legs, in which case he generally has to bring his head forward to try to pass. And when he does, I want to make sure to start hunting that neck. That's why I catch so many guillotines. Or to at least put the threat of the guillotine to make him sort of second-guess his passing. Same thing when I'm passing. If I'm on top and I'm starting to pass and he tries to sit into me for like an underhook, um, he basically has to bring his head forward, in which case I'm going to start hunting the guillotine. Uh, to defend that, often he'll basically back up, put his back on the mat, and uh, I can continue with my pass. I know this very well because when I was a purple belt, I rolled with Marcelo Garcia, and he did this to me over and over. Every time he would start to pass, I'd sit up, he'd guillotine me, I'd back out, he'd pass. So I've definitely incorporated that concept into my game. And uh, some great, great wisdom there from Roy. And that is a big thing. I think a lot of times people just think, hey, you know, I've got a great submission that can end this fight but so many times it is the threat you're you're you can stop a pass with that threat so just the threat of it is gonna change change the match big time especially when that guillotine is your brick it is your 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 hold that you're smashing people with you can either finish with it or you'll stop the pass and and change change the change the game around a little bit so uh, yeah, I really, I really do like that. That what Roy was talking about there. Yeah, and I appreciate the, the information about if he's gonna trying to pass my guard, and use his hands to block my arms. You know, he, he's not using his hands to control my legs. Or if he's gonna use my his hands to control my legs, I'm gonna go for the guillotine, and it's gonna yeah. bother him. 
your hands are free right there to choke him. He, he's got both his hands around your legs trying to smash past, and uh, his neck's right out there. So That's a very cool tip and lots of good information on Roy's uh, seminar there, available for download. Um, he's a friend of the show. Help him out. If you're, if you're into guillotines and want a little bit better of a guillotine, he'll help you out. And we also have um, Gustavo Dantes, the BJJ mental coach. Uh, he was on a few episodes back. You definitely want to check that out. But uh, he's got a great uh, DVD series right now, um, dealing with uh, you know how to how to get your mind right. Yep, there's there's some different elements of the game. You know, cardio technique, and a big part that we often forget about is the mental side of the game, and. That's what this DVDs, these these four DVDs are about. He's not going to show you techniques and stuff like that. He's going to help you get your mind uh, ready for competition, and 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 he helps you on and off the mat, kind of organize things. And very very good DVD, very interesting. And that's the thing I like what you said there, on and off the mat. I find all that stuff basically from his DVD set goes right back to what we're doing at life i mean not just not just on the mat so uh it can help you your personal life and it can help you on the mat so uh definitely uh, kill two birds with one stone right there that sounds good gary gary let's get to the interview here um we'll play a little message about the most interesting grappler in the world um in which, which definitely is not me <laughs> it's not me either but uh it's always those are fun those have been uh fun to record there but uh, then we'll get on to our interview with Dave Camarillo. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. After winning ADCC, Barbara Walters interviewed him, and she cried. He once got lost in the Amazon jungle. He had a flying arm bar on an anaconda. Word on the street is, he once escaped Alcatraz by shrimp crawling. During The Ultimate Fighter, Dana White often calls him for a pep talk. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'd like to introduce Dave Camarilla to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Dave, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for jumping on here with me. I really appreciate your time and excited to hear from you and, and get some of your uh, your knowledge and your uh, wisdom about jiu-jitsu. Awesome. Looking forward to it. If, if somebody hasn't heard of you, could you kind of introduce yourself to some of the audience? Sure. I've been uh, involved in martial arts since I was five years old. My father was my first instructor in judo. Uh, I trained sometimes seven days a week, uh, made it to an elite level in terms of competition, uh, got my black belt, I think, around 17, 18 years old, uh, trained all the time. My dad even built a, uh, a garage in the back when he matted it. I trained. That's the kind of lifestyle that I had. So uh, my brother was my best training partner, uh, four years older, very, very good. Uh, I did that and competed. Uh, I was number two in the nation for a while. Uh, did pretty well internationally. Uh, then I started jiu-jitsu when I was about 19. Uh, did both at the same time. My jiu-jitsu really helped my judo, especially when the, uh, the match hit the ground. Uh, the speed of judo mixed with the technique of jiu-jitsu really helped me get an edge on, on opponents. Uh, I started doing flying arm bars, things like that in competition. Uh, really started opening up my game. 
then got my black belt in jiu-jitsu shortly after started with the American Kickboxing Academy, I think probably the number one uh, MMA gyms in the world, or at least top three uh, currently. Uh, did that for about 10 years, trained fighters such as Josh Koscheck, John Fitch, uh, Kane Velasquez, and Daniel Cormier. Uh, after that, I uh, left MMA to pursue a little bit more of my career, uh, in which I now have two schools, one in San Jose, a guerrilla jiu-jitsu school, uh, and one in Pleasanton, which is the East Bay. Uh, both are running really good. We're, we're, you know, we work really hard at it. Uh, I'm teamed up with some incredible people, including Matt Darcy, who's a guerrilla jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, also on the side, I'm now heavily involved in, in combatives, training uh, special operations uh, teams, uh, pretty heavily involved in that. And so I'm basically taking all of my experience from judo, jiu-jitsu, the wrestling that I gained uh, training with guys like Cormier, the kickboxing from Javier Mendez, uh, and the probably the best MMA coach or corner in the world, Bob Cook. Uh, All of that experience is now gaining new experience with military and and really helping them, uh, learning their job and helping... uh, creating a program for, for special operations, uh, you know, basically just encompassing my experience in martial arts. How long ago did you start getting into the combatives training? Uh, it's been over six years now. I, uh, I'm level four certified modern army combatives program, uh, which is the highest level. I've trained with many different combative instructors and I've done, I have a lot of experience working hands-on and really closely with some elite teams and special operations. So it really, uh, I just get a kind of a bird's eye view or, or kind of a fly on the wall and really adapting what I know and, and what I grew up knowing and, and gaining new knowledge and then, you know, creating and, and constantly evolving a program that, uh, helps those who put themselves in harm's way. This also includes law enforcement. We have, a lot of law enforcement that uh, train in our academies, um, you know, all the way from arresting procedures to uh, even initial contact, even shooting. I do a lot of shooting uh, with some of my buddies, uh, training, again, with elite guys that uh, it's their job, it's their life. And so that, that kind of helps me because I like to be busy in uh, different aspects of, of, of martial arts, and this has given me a perfect uh, avenue to do that. You talked a little bit about like bridging the gap when you were doing judo at a real high level and then you started jiu-jitsu and how they kind of blended together a little bit and how you're able to use one for the other. Uh, Is there much of that with the combatives? Yeah, without a doubt. I think I actually do a lot of judo in the combatives, but uh, it depends on the level of of, uh, individual that I'm working with. You want to keep it very simple, very basic, and there's certain things that they need in in a, we call it initial contact of uh, you know, an individual that may resist or may be a combatant, which could, uh, you know, put them their lives in danger. So there's certain things that we, we do initially that are very, very basic, very uh, self-defense oriented, because I, I cross-train, like I'll teach women very similar to some of the things that I use in combatives. Um, I've taken a lot of some of the self-defense that I've learned from Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, uh, you know, Basically, aspects of everything. I've created my own. I've adjusted things. Um, but we do everything, so it's constantly evolving. The guys who are 
heavily involved in the training, do everything. They, they, you know, they do fighting, they weapon transitions, uh, you know, fighting more than one person. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not a quintessential understanding of, of fighting. It's anything can go in, in certain situations. And this is for self-defense as well. Um, certain arts teach you to deal with one person, but what if there's a second? What if there's a third? These are things that a lot of these martial arts cannot answer and have not answered um, properly. Uh, whereas I have now been exposed to elements that train special operations and, and also uh, scenarios in special operations that help me uh, adjust the curriculum and, uh, again, create a program that's, that uh, is not existing within a set rules, which is basically what we call sport, jiu-jitsu, judo, wrestling, things like that. I think a lot of people that do, I guess any of the martial arts, have like a maybe a, a misconception about how good they would do in a in a street fight, maybe or or you know it's it's funny to sit, watch jujitsu guys. They look at other martial arts that doesn't work. That wouldn't work. It doesn't. But like you're saying in jujitsu, like so what? I get mount on a guy if if his buddy sneaks around me and and puts a knife in my back. Mount was a terrible position to be in, and and I shouldn't have I should have avoided that to begin with. Right. Well, this starts with uh, what we call situational awareness. Um, I have been in a situation in Brazil, actually, uh, that I had to use situational awareness. Uh, before I went to Brazil, my, my coach, Hal Gracie, who's, who's a phenomenal coach, amazing uh, fighter, uh, told me, when you go to Brazil, just be careful. And this could be not just Brazil. This could be anywhere. Yeah. There's parts of the United States that are definitely, uh, I would say that situational awareness is important. But again, it could be, it could be anywhere. Uh, uh, but I'm just going to use this example because this happened in my life. He said, yeah, be careful because what they'll do is they'll be a two-man or three-man team. Uh, when one shows a gun or something like that, you got to look out for who's in the crowd that might pop out and aid that person. So that's exactly what happened to me. I was on a bus. A guy pulled a gun in Brazil on a bus. Scared out of my mind, but tried to keep my composure. I was calming down the lady next to me. Uh, and he started robbing people. Uh, and I, I looked at him a couple times, and he was right next to me uh, with a gun to somebody's you know head. And, you know, these are real scenarios. This is a real situation. Uh, hopefully that I'm never in again. But I, I started contemplating my options. I started thinking, well, if I, you know, if I try to apprehend this person, I could get shot. I could, you know, many things could happen. And so... As I was reading the situation and looking at his tension levels, I felt that he was going to rob and leave, and that's exactly what he did. But when he left, another guy got up with him, his second team member, oh, and man. ran out with him. So if I had attacked him, thinking maybe he's going to start shooting people and it might be the right thing to do, his buddy would have probably came up behind me and, 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 and uh, I would have been in serious trouble. So it starts with situational awareness, and people need to understand that, yeah, in a self-defense connotation, it's rarely okay to say, okay, it's one-on-one. One-on-one is a sport mentality. And we need to adjust that to our surroundings. Uh, I always tell people the first thing you need to do is, should you be in this, you know, geographic location at that particular time? Like if I'm in a bar, bar, for example, and this place is known for fights, why am I going to that bar? Or why am I going to this area where there seems to be a concentration of fights. So I say avoid. Avoid is our first line of defense. Avoid high-risk areas. Yeah. Uh, I, and I don't need to know self-defense uh, 
or physical self-defense, technical self-defense, uh, to to abide by that. And what will happen is your ratio for, I would say, contact of a bad situation will go down. I live in ratios. Um, so my game, for example, my jiu-jitsu game, I do certain things that increase my ratio for finishing. And I try to take that and, and apply that in every situation. I like how you, you were aware of that. I, I guess anybody who's doing that, like on a bus, could have a buddy. But you you had like a little bit more of a like a little heads up. Like this is a good chance if this happens, uh, th- he's not doing it by himself. And so you were, here you are d- doing martial arts since you were five. Like they have no idea who you are on this bus, and they have like I'd imagine a lot of people would be like almost excited for the opportunity to use something you've been trained for your whole life. And, and you're you're weighing these options, and and really, you decided this is about they're 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 taking people's money. You know, if the, if the guy would have started hitting somebody with his gun, or you thought he was going to shoot somebody, that would probably be a different option for you. Um, the way you reacted, right. but you said this is for money. You know, screw it, no big deal. Yeah, I, I'll get a new wallet. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, you, without a doubt. I, th- I think uh, the other equalizer is the, the firearm. Yeah, that raises the level. If someone just starts hitting somebody around, okay. Um, even if he pulls a knife, okay, that's another type of threat, which is very dangerous. A gun is another type of threat, which is very dangerous, and they're you deal with them, you know, conceptually differently. And I have someone has to analyze that. But I'll t- I'll say right now that I think in this case, Ralph Gracie really helped me because he opened my eyes to the realities of of I don't know what you want to call it uh, areas where people you know, prey on other people. Yeah. I think it's the best way to say it. And, yeah. and those areas exist in every single country. Yeah, not, and not to mention that if you did decide to, to contact this guy with a gun, that every gun that leaves that, every bullet that leaves that gun is going somewhere. If it doesn't hit you, it could hit, there's other right. people on the bus. And that's, I mean, the whole situation, right. I like your awareness of everything. So this is very much like, uh, I, I would say, and pardon my ignorance, but, you know, law enforcement, it's kind of the same mentality. You want to defuse the situation. Nobody goes into a situation like that thinking, okay, well, let's let's raise the bar and, and you know, <laughs> make this an action movie. Make this an action movie. You know, yeah. like that's not that's just not healthy, you know, uh, for you or anyone on the bus. Now, if that decision is decided by other parties, then you have to assess that and then and then move from there. And again, like I said, this is not cool. It's not a cool thing that happened. It's an experience in my life, and I never want it to happen again. Yeah. But I will, because of the training and my exposure to this world more now than ever, that I will assess and, and act uh, according to uh, my judgment, like any law enforcement, like any military. Wow. I, that's a that's a lot to that story, and I appreciate you for sharing it. I mean, trying to, to comprehend everything that happened in probably just a few minutes and, and, and learn from it. In, in in how how to behave in a situation similar to that. Right, I think uh, I always say that uh, you know violence in society is is prevalent, but it's rare for the individual, depending on the individual, um, and that's why we we kind of go to sleep to it. You know, it's on the news, it's it's here and there, but it can happen. And I think before we get into what technique, like how do I break a headlock? We need to really philosophize and educate people uh, through, you know, verbal communication and, and really 
get them thinking because if people are not thinking, they're kind of asleep, you know, and you gotta, you gotta put a context to every situation, uh, to enrich, uh, the need for it and the understanding why, why we do what we do. Why do we train martial arts? I really don't think that martial arts is for sport first. I, I sincerely believe it's self-defense and self-awareness. Yeah. Primarily. I, I think of when you ask somebody, why did you start martial arts? It, it's, it's a rare answer to hear, oh, I wanted to be a competitive jiu-jitsu athlete, or I wanted to do judo at a high level and, and win some titles. It's, it's I wanted to, to learn how to protect myself. I almost never hear, uh, in terms of new students coming into the academy, say that they want to, it's for competitive reasons, yeah. because they don't understand competitive reasons. That That's not even on their, that's not even on their plane of existence. I mean, most people, martial arts is self-defense, which it should be. You know, it coordinates the body, it coordinates the mind. Um, now, later down the road, people go, oh, okay, well, I want to engage and, and take that further. And I think competition actually aids the self-defense mindset. But if you get into the competition early, right away, I think it actually is a detriment to the self-defense mindset. So when would be like a good time you recommend somebody step into competition? I think, well, the way we run our curriculum, I, th- I think it's, it's vital for people to understand self-defense first and really be uh, exposed to that mindset. Remember, you know, I've always said jiu-jitsu instructors create culture. They also create a mindset. Um, anyone selling something or uh, preaching something is, is, is pushing their mindset on someone else, and many times it's very valuable. And so what I try to do is just explain the importance of self-awareness and self-defense. Uh, now, if somebody has, at least in our curriculum, I'm, you know, obviously very proud of our curriculum. If they have the fundamentals of our curriculum down and understand it and understand why they should apply it at certain times, then we actually, yeah, we have a very good competition team. Um, but I don't think it's best, and again, you're going to have millions of different opinions, but to start jujitsu as a sport first, because you're, you're going to lose a lot of the, uh, value in it in its universal uh, application it's, it has a universal application self-defense uh, mma uh, self-awareness sport jiu-jitsu fitness you know all these things and yeah. you'd be cutting off self-awareness self-defense if you just like for example i'm only a guard puller well that's awesome but i don't want you next to me if i get in a fight with a bunch of people and i have to <laughs> you know defend my family you yeah. know what i mean yeah absolutely so, you mentioned how it, it the competition helps aid the self defense aspect of it. Is that just getting in there with somebody else and, and kind of going at it a little bit, or or, or how does yeah, that help? Yeah, so the you? other exactly the other side of the spectrum um, is, of course, you know, if I only do kapas, for example, and we all do kapas, like we do a lot of thread work. Actually, MMA fighters do kapas. You learn at a rate where somebody's a good partner for you you're maneuvering them around. We call it shredding. Like, you know, for MMA, for example, I could strike my way into a single, finish the single, leg drag pass, throw an elbow, mount, and do an armbar. That's a thread. That's a kata. And that's how people learn how to flow. And that's what we do in our academy. Um, if that's all you're doing, though, and you're not having any resistance, yeah, there's an issue. Because then you're bringing a lot of confidence into a situation that you may not be equipped to handle. And so I think I think a mixture of katas, which are 
necessary, without a doubt, because that's basically technique. Technique is kata. You know, because yeah. re- they're not resisting when you're first learning a triangle. You, you, need, you need a partner that cooperates. But uh, if you do not play test it, then yeah. Um, that's another element, and you're going to be kind of stuck. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a detriment, because I still think it's there's value there, but you're going to be kind of putting a cap on how much value you've had in, in training. And so when someone's on top of you trying to choke you, that's, that's, a pro, that's an experience that a lot of people don't have that will happen potentially in a self-defense encounter. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back a little bit. Um, you mentioned that your brother was uh, one of your best training partners back when yeah, you were doing ever. judo. Ever? Yeah, <laughs> how, ever. It, it seems it's crazy that you see um, two brothers that, like do really well together. You know, it's it's just amazing like the bond they they will form and, and the, the ability to train and you know in theory if you look at the numbers two family two family members shouldn't be at the top of the podium together like there's just too many people too many odds against them but it happens all the time like like together yeah, happens a lot i think you know there there's a trust you know I, you know this just, I don't know how many billions of people on this planet. You have all these people with different perspectives, different genetics, different behavioral uh, tendencies. And but when you grow up with the same mother, same father, and you're in the same house, and your and your your kind of value systems are very similar, there's a trust. We we share the same blood, <clears throat> so there's a trust there that you know. I know my brother's going to try to beat me up, and it's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> and at the same time, I know he's going to control it, so it's a healthy, competitive environment. And I know we're not always going to agree on everything, but you know, when we're when we're like fifty, sixty years old, we'll still probably go first to score on you know on the carpet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of thing that you grow up with, and it'll always be there, and you'll support him to the end. So when you have that. Uh, as a training partner, and and for me, in my particular case, my brother was four years older, so I was never as good as him, and I'm still not as good as him. But I had something to strive for, you know. Maybe that's why I have cauliflower ear, and he doesn't, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I have him to thank, you know, all the toughness that I have, and all the great experiences uh, day in day out with a father who supported us. Because in reality, it's not just the siblings. If I did not have a family that supported me, and I've seen this a lot, especially when I'm in an academy now, where sometimes the child doesn't have the support because the parents don't quite understand the value of martial arts. You're going to have that. Well, we didn't. We had it. You know, my dad uh, worked very hard and pushed himself, walked the line, and my mother was right there uh, doing the same thing and basically keeping the family sane, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was a, it was a, it was a four person team that, 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 uh, the result I think was awesome. That's cool. You started when you were five. W- what age is a good age for a kid to start jujitsu if they're interested in it? We started, at th- we started our kids at three. At three. And what are they doing? Yeah, I think three, three is good. But remember every, every child is different. Uh, but I've never seen a child come in at three years old that wasn't able with, Support, you know. Yeah. Of course, our instructors are very, very good. Uh, we have a great curriculum. We work very hard. Uh, 
but I need the support from the parent. There's, it's a circle of support where if the kid is trying to move away from the train, they, they hit a wall of support. They move the other direction, they hit a wall of support. Now, that's not, we talk about forcing. So, for example, uh, people ask me, well, Dave, you were forced to do judo, and I was. Um, is that good or bad for a child? I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. And, and those who disagree, I'm going to say this. Do we force our kids to go to school? Do we force our kids to get an education, a mental education? Yes. Then why not force them to learn a life skill? Life skills are swimming, uh, being in some kind of good condition, yeah, uh, some kind of subsistence strategy like cooking or whatever or earning money or whatever, but also self-defense. Why is self-defense not looked at as a life skill? It is a life skill. Whether you ever use it or not, you have the confidence to defend yourself. So I, I just can't. I do not. I do not buy that a child should not be. And and I look at it as a very positive environment. The way it's done, it's not done with yelling or anything like that. I do not force any kid, uh, child in our program to compete. As a matter of fact, I think I don't think competition is for everyone because it definitely has a psychological positive and negative. There's not just a positive there. There's also a negative, and I've seen it every day, especially at jiu-jitsu tournaments. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if, if the child has support and it says, look, this is a life skill, and I've had one of the parents articulate it to me perfectly, they're like, yeah, my daughter, you know, she, she doesn't really like jiu-jitsu, but she's going to do it twice a week. And then next thing you know, she loves it. It just takes time. you got to get through a period of, like a, a, what do you call it when you get a new job, a probational period. Yeah. But if, yeah, if the parent goes, okay, well, then take clarinet. Oh, okay, we'll take that. Well, yeah, then the kid's just going to bounce off. Remember, if we give kid the uh, the free reign um, that I think some kids get, they'll just play video games and eat candy. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so I'm not, again, I'm not talking about yelling and this and that. Not a, not a negative environment. I'm talking about a very positive environment, a very positive tone, but you are going to learn a life skill, and that is going to be jujitsu or judo, which is phenomenal. Is one easier for kids to pick up than the other, or? I we we do a full judo program here as well, and we have in our jiu-jitsu. It's grill jiu-jitsu. It's not Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, highly influenced by Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I we do too much wrestling and too much judo for me to call it Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, even though the belt systems are the same, um, but I definitely take pride in. I want our kids uh, like we don't, we we don't even teach them guard pulling much. You know what I mean, like. If they yeah. gravitate towards that, that means they have a takedown game. You know, yeah. we just teach these guard pull. It's like you're not teaching coordination uh, on a level that I think is required in many aspects of life. I think I'm going off on a tangent, but um, I think uh, I think judo is phenomenal. I think what judo gives a little bit, at least, the, and again, our, our jiu-jitsu program has judo in it. But what it gives children is it's a little bit more toughness. And when I say a little bit, a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Because if they do it for 10 years, like, you know, you look at all these uh, judoka, you know, they're, t- they're tough individuals. And they're, most of them are very, very respectful. Um, because, it, you know, that's another thing we, we emphasize. I'd rather a child be a good person than win a tournament. Uh, and, and I just don't see that a lot. Especially if you go to a tournament and you see, you know, you see, oh, this is about winning. And I'm like, we love winning too, but, you know, I'd rather see a good person. Yeah. Uh, 
And that's why we don't yell. We don't make it a negative experience. We make it a very positive one. But one that should be like Jigger Okano wanted. It should be a part of life. Back when you were five, you said you were forced to do judo. How how long did you did you did you hate it? Did you dislike it? Would you rather be doing something else? Or how, how was your level of uh, how hard were you having to be pushed? Well, I think every uh, every person who does martial arts long enough or anything will have the full spectrum of emotions. That's true. Yeah, that that's being a human being. You know, when people say, well, yeah, but they, they don't like it. Like, for example, I'll give an example. One of our students, true story, he was like four or five, and he started our jiu-jitsu program. And he liked it, and then he came in sick one day. And the parents were like, well, he doesn't like it. And we're like, okay, hold on. I, I, as I understand it, he's not feeling well today. Well, if I interview you and you're sick... You're generally going to be a little bit more negative than if you were like the best shape of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Your perspective, your your perspective shifts with the wind. You know whether you show it or not. So what happened is they go, oh well, that makes sense. So they kept bringing him. He's still here. He's our longest. He start, he started our kids program and he's still here. He's the highest ranked kid in our in our academy and he's a happy kid and he's he can defend himself. He's doing judo. He's getting belted in judo. He's getting belted in jiu-jitsu. Uh, and and, he, and he's, he's, he's just an amazing kid. Now, what if I said, yeah, okay, if he doesn't like it, okay. And I, I didn't talk to the parents. I didn't really say, look, you know, with a little support, you know. So you would have lost years and years of training. And all of the audience that listens to your podcast understand who does jiu-jitsu, they're going to love it. But at times, it, it's frustrating. And yeah. that's fine. You know, uh, I don't like this, I don't like that, or I get tapped, or whatever the situation may be. Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. And every instructor should remind their students there's going to be ups and downs. There's been ups and downs in my life. Uh, people say, well, yeah, it's so fun, right? I'm like, man, if judo was, was <laughs> if I did judo because it was fun, at times I would have quit. You know, I was I was pushing to make the Olympic team. Name an Olympian that goes into their practice and says every day is fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe, or maybe they're just a very positive person. Yeah. But there's days where I did not want to go to practice. But I, I picked myself up out of bed because I was conditioned to and ignore all the negative thoughts of it's better to sit here and play video games or whatever um, or go out with my buddies or whatever. No, I was there in San Jose State training three days, three times a day, twice a day. And I never even made the Olympic team, you know what I mean? So uh, there's always ups and downs, always, in everything, in every aspect of life. You have to anticipate it so you're better prepared. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that kid. If they, I mean, yeah, he had a bad day and he, and, he, and he would have wanted to be done with it that day. He was sick. I get, if I'm hungry, I get in a, sometimes I get in a little grumpy mood and I, and I start seeing things from a negative point of view. It's just... Every every sure. everything can affect you, and, and just put that they, aside for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. They did a study, and this is a real study. I think they got in trouble for it, but on Facebook, they did a study, and they 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 through people's news feeds, they collected a bunch of negative posts, and they forced people in certain areas or whatever to only see negative posts. <laughs> 
And the outcome was those people that were subjected to negative posts post negatively more often. Yeah. All, it's psychological. This, this, is, this is science. You can't really argue this. If you're around a bunch of negative people, you're going to be negative. If you haven't eaten, you're going to be negative. You know, some people are better than others, I think, genetic, to deal with that. But if we, you know, as, as a group, understand that there's going to be ups and downs and we prepare for it and we have support, positive support, you can accomplish anything. Yeah, I'm just trying to grab my, the, the way they're able to like crowdsource unvoluntary un- people and and really make their day kind of kind of crappier than it would have been, just because their their feed has been changed. Um, yeah, that, that's crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't. I never heard of that. I, I, I think it might be worth it though. It's, it's yeah, good, it's interesting. It's a good. Uh, I mean, as long as it's not prolonged, but yeah. it's a good. Uh, you know, I studied sociology in college, and we we there's man so many. Uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, testing or whatever they did um, that you couldn't even get away with now, but you still learned a lot from it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, anyway. You said a, a little while so, back there, when someone's going to compete, there's positives and negatives. Uh, a positive would yeah. be like, you know, training hard and, and, and winning the competition or, or just the bond you form with your teammates and things like that. You, what are some examples of some, some negative things that people get from a, from the competition? Too much pressure especially for kids, and I see it at every tournament. And, you know, I've experienced in my life. So I see fathers yelling at their kids for losing. Uh, somebody told us that we <laughs> we have the best winners and losers, and, I, and there's a lot of great academies, but, of course, you, <laughs> you, you hear, uh, you know, people praising your academy for, for whatever you're doing, and it, it feels really good. But when our kids lose, I tell them, I go, it's okay, man, it's not a big deal. I go, and this is our elite competition team. We took third at the U.S. Open uh, 2014, which is the biggest tournament around here. Yeah. And 2013, we took first in overall juvenile. Wow. Now, we're a serious player, even though we're outgunned because we're very new. You know, we don't, we don't have 100 black belts on the map. You know, we, we are the underdogs. Gorilla Jits is the underdog. There's powerhouses out there that we beat. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. My point is, is you can be a, a, a you know competitive powerhouse and still, <laughs> and I know a lot of gyms are doing this because I see it. I see a great amount of respect out there, but I also see an over emphasis on winning. Yeah, that's not good for kids. Kids need to be happy. <laughs> that's yeah, <it. laughs> kids need to be happy. Yeah, I'm thinking back to talking about that experiment. You know, you go back, you're having a bad day, go to jiu-jitsu. Hopefully you're at a gym, and I think most gyms are. It's a happy environment. People are having a good time. Yeah. People are training hard. You're sweating. You're working out. Um, yeah. You mentioned your kids' uh, team being so successful. Um, how how much are these kids training? Well, it, it depends. Most of them train every day. Yeah. You know, five days a week. I have a kid, you know, and, and like you said, these, these gyms are awesome, and, and it's popping up all over the place, and they do incredible things for people. Uh, they elevate their lives. Uh, one story, we had a kid, uh, he didn't want to take off his shoes or his socks when he did his first class. You know, he's very timid. Yeah. Scared. Timid. Very shy. Uh, fast forward two years, he's like our most technical 
youth competitor, <laughs> winning every, almost all the jiu-jitsu comps. Now he's winning adult competitions, and he's winning in judo competitions. Um, and he's and he's he's just a phenomenal martial artist with a great attitude. You know that's what martial arts does for people. You know, uh, you know it's it's an amazing thing. That is that it changes is cool. lives. You've got you've got a lot on your plate right now. Could you kind of tell us some of the stuff that you've got cooking up right now? Uh, working seven days a week, uh, running running our businesses. Really, just to be honest, living the American dream. I, I don't think there's any better way to say it. Uh, I work extremely hard, and I get out of it what I put in it. Uh, me and my wife. To me, it's a family business. Um. You know, I I went from the you know the highest level in, in mixed martial arts, and and to me it was amazing, but it's nowhere near amazing like the life I'm leading now, and it's because of uh, going back. I mean, I, I consider myself a martial arts success case, meaning, you know, I've struggled with uh, you know normal emotions that most people struggle with, and martial arts keeps me in check. It's 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 an amazing thing. So. What do I have going on? I have I'm leading a martial arts life that uh, I see the impact with the people around me, and it's it's an amazing life. Uh, however, of course, we work very very hard. Um, uh, the combatants now in the last, last four or five years have has really really grown. So for me, that's that's something I take a lot of pride in because it it's it's like if I I, I said if I knew then what I know now, that whole thing I would have served. Uh, but I think this is the best, the closest thing I can come to that is, is really uh, working one-on-one with people that are, that are just an amazing people that, uh, you know, do amazing things, uh, including, including law enforcement. Just, just amazing people uh, that, because of jiu-jitsu, they, they are, you know, better at their job. It's a skill set. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, it's creating and it's being a part of that. And it's teaching the kids. I teach the kids every week. Um, you know, when they, <clears throat> when I was in the corner, you know, when Kane Velasquez beat Brock Lesnar, I mean, it was one of the most amazing uh, times of my life. But it, but it will always take a second to a, a child that maybe wins the first tournament or a kid that takes their socks off because they're comfortable being on the. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's an it's an amazing thing. That, that's what I, that's my life right now. I think that like the kid taking off his socks is him like growing up several years mentally or, or, or being like, you know, like taking, he's almost changed as a person when able to overcome that little hurdle that he's put on himself. Yeah. It, it's, 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 uh, it's what, it's probably the best way to say it's what life is all about for me. It's what's life, you know, that that's life to me. Cool. What, what advice would you give to, uh, a BJJ athlete, one that's done some sport jiu-jitsu, and they're going to try to make the transition to MMA. Um, some have a lot, lot more, a game that's geared more towards that, and some don't. But in general, um, do you have any advice for somebody? Um, well, I, first I'd say, well, why do you want to fight? Yeah, that's like, about <laughs> again. I've seen every experience you can experience in MMA. I've seen the lowest amateur. You know, I've seen venues that look like they're going to fall apart <laughs> all the way to, uh, you know, UFC pride strike force. Um, 
I would ask them immediately why. And I actually just started training fighters again, and I I sit them down first. You know, when they come train with me, I sit them down. I go, why are you fighting? And they should know. You know, number one, they should know it's not a good career move. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's not for, it should not be for career. You know, for the for 99% of people out there trying to fight, it should not be really for career. It should be something that you, you want to, you know, reach a higher level of, of competition. I totally get it. If you're a wrestler and you want to, you know, you want to test yourself in that arena, I get it. If you're a jiu-jitsu guy and you want to make the transition to MMA, I would say why. If you if, if you answer like I answered that, okay, okay, I get it. If it's to be famous, then you know I won't train you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think it's about fame. It's about I think it's about you know I think when we say mixed martial arts, when I think martial arts, I think of respect and honor. Um, those those should be paramount. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm answering your question a little bit more like maybe philosophically, but I think uh, attitude is, is most important. You know, um, what drives the person who wants to get into MMA? Because that's, you know, mindset going in, should, should they should understand MMA before they just jump into it. Yeah, it's uh, different. A lot of risk, a lot of, uh, it's, it's not, it's not judo, it's not wrestling. There's a lot of risk in MMA. Yeah. I, I imagine you're not sitting people down before they start jujitsu and say, why do you want to do this? You just, welcome them in and, and, and let them start training. But if you want to start doing MMA, like you say, there's a lot more risk and there's there's other things that happen when you're training for that. Yeah, we actually do like to know why people come in. <laughs> we ask them, like, yeah. well, so what are you looking for in the program? You know, because if it's self-defense, awesome. We we, we help them with that. But uh, I think the education and understanding where people are coming from is important. Yeah. That's first. Are there, are there very many... Jump into it. Now... If, if you're a jiu-jitsu stylist, so let's get to, if you're a jiu-jitsu stylist and you want to do MMA and you're going to do MMA, what's my advice to you at that point? First, MMA is not jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's grappling. There's, when people say, see, I see these articles and they're trying to write about what's, why is jiu-jitsu not the dominant sport it used to be in MMA? Well, because before it wasn't MMA. Now it is. Everyone's doing jiu-jitsu. And just because there's not a bunch of arm bars, you know, in every division, doesn't mean jiu-jitsu is not working. But I wouldn't even call it jiu-jitsu anymore. It's grappling. There's no gi. Yeah. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, pulling guard to win a fight. For the most part, there's none of that. Um, you know, people are very good at defending. Uh, what jiu-jitsu brings to it, or, or the grappling, like, you know, armbar shows, things like that. So if you pull guard, you're going to get punched in the face. Uh, so somebody who does jiu-jitsu, they need to cross-train. They need to start getting punched in the head a little bit. Hopefully it's controlled so they don't have brain damage down the road. Uh, but you need to step outside your comfort zone. You need to not do jiu-jitsu anymore. You need to grapple. You need to wrestle. You need to learn Muay Thai grappling, Muay Thai striking, boxing. Uh, you know, you need, you need to do mixed fighting, you know? Uh, and it, you know, these days it's, it's, it's a highly competitive arena. It's, it's, uh, I would even say it's not even for people who are not genetically prone to athleticism. 
Yeah. And we get into all kinds of subjects, but like <laughs> the guys who are winning are athletic. Yeah. Now I'm not talking about built athletic through training. I call it a genetic envelope. You can only push so far genetically. You can improve, but you you know there's GSP and then there's somebody who's not as athletic. You know, whoever, yeah. uh, John Doe. John Doe, who's not genetically prone to athleticism, will never be as good as GSP. He just doesn't have the advantage. His or it becomes highly difficult. Yeah. This is for jujitsu too. And I've had discussions who I've, you know, I've learned a lot definitely with these discussions, but flexibility is an aspect of athleticism. Because we're not all flexible. It's a variable. Speed, strength, power, uh, you know, all these are athleticism. They're variables. They add to your ratio. We go back to ratios. They add to your ratio of, of winning. So if you're, like, for, I'll give an example. Uh, Australia. I'm in the corner with Kane. We look over. Nogueira just gets into the ring. And Nogueira's awesome. Yeah. But to me, he's not very athletic compared to Kane. Yeah. He had almost no chance to beat Kane. And it, I know people say, well, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of technique involved. Yeah, of course there's technique. But technique is only a variable. You power that technique, like, for example, there is a really cool car there with no engine. You put an engine in it, then that car shines. Then you know, the steering wheel and all these things come together. Well, that engine is the power of athleticism. When I saw Nogueira jump up and down, I go, there's no way he's going to beat Kane. And I had to see it in front of my eyes, not on TV. But when he jumped up and down before the fight, and if you can see it on TV or whatever, you can see that he's not as athletic as Kane. Nowhere near it. Kane is the champion, not because he's just good. That's an aspect of it. It's because he's the most athletic guy in that division. Just like GSP, just like you know, a lot of these guys. So there's a lot to look at. This stuff is gets scientific, you know. There's not just I'm a jiu-jitsu guy and I'm going to go into MMA and do well. You know, those are four ounce gloves, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> scary stuff, dude. <laughs> I mean, you put an athletic fist in that thing and it's coming at you. <laughs> yeah, and then you put steroids behind it. I mean, you know, it's kind of the thing we don't want to all talk about. But it, you're like, okay, so the guy's good. He does all his pad work. He's genetically athletic. And then let's dump steroids on top of that. And a lot of these guys do. I mean, that's like, that's a recipe for, you know, damage. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Where do you see the, the future? Let's, let's talk about just a little bit about, about judo, BJJ, and MMA. Um, judo has come up with some some new rules about not doing BJJ and judo at the same time. Uh, do you see that as yeah. being like a big deal, or is that? Well, I mean, it's a big deal if you wanna if you wanna do both, and if you wanna um, gain the like. If I'm a high level judoka and I want to gain, and there's definitely some value in uh, you know competing at a high level in jujitsu, you're gonna lose some of that. Like the rule of you can't really grip fight much too. Like I can't do two on one anymore. I grew up with the judo rules where I can do two-on-one and grip fight. And, and so what you saw is matches that were a lot of grip fighting. And what that does is it helped my hands feed. It, 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 it's 
really coordinated my body. My, you know, I got these hands grabbing at my gi and I'm blocking it and we're doing all these things. You're learning like hand-eye coordination. That's why kickboxing was, or boxing was so easy for me. Now I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm great, but I've definitely banged with world champions, you know, with my hands and feet. And I've learned from Javier Mendez, one of the best coaches in the world. So, but I wasn't, I didn't learn all that stuff very quickly if it wasn't for that grip fighting. So there's an effect. If you change a rule, there's an effect. I've always said rules dictate behavior. Absolutely. So I I really think that you're going to limit the opportunity for these people to reach their potential because you're doing that. So yeah, obviously I'm against it. I'm not for freedom. I love freedom. Yeah. Why do you think they made that rule about the, about not doing jujitsu and competing in, in uh, judo? Well, I can only anticipate, though. I can only assume. And I, I don't really like assuming yeah. what's going on in some other people's minds. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to be disrespectful to them. I think, you know, uh, you know, like every organization, like the UFC, for example, you know, the UFC has been so good to me personally, you know, and, and all these other organizations, like, you know, there's always good and, and bad or perspectives. So I can't sit there and say, well, because of this, I don't like the USA Judo or whatever the, I don't even think it's USA Judo, it's the, whatever the uh, organization that is is, is, is is doing this rule. I, I you know, Judo is awesome. Even today, even with this yeah. rule, it's amazing. It's, it's I, I just love it. It's like, a, it's the most dynamic, to me, the most dynamic grappling art in existence, even more than wrestling. So, I don't know why, I, and I never know, will know why. I just, I think it's, uh, I think it should be overturned. But you know, if I have one of my athletes that's a high-level judoka, I'll just have him stick to judo. Yeah. You know, judo is not in the Olympics, and it'll probably never be in the Olympics. So you know, I think there's, there's always that. You know, um, judo will always be a world sport. Jiu-Jitsu is becoming a world sport, uh, but it still needs to legitimize, legitimize itself. There's still things that. Um, I mean, it's amazing how fast it's growing, and I think it's because they had a business model, which is which is awesome. But I, I, I still think it you know it has room to grow and grow in the right directions. Um, but these are all politics. Yeah, just, you know, it's what it is. Do you have a a favorite uh, like a format for your students to go compete in for jujitsu? A format, or like an organization, or no, no, like uh, like the rule set, or or do you? What do you think about the current rules in in most Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments? Uh, well, we, yeah, I mean, when we do jiu-jitsu rules, like, you know, we switch. We'll do judo rules. We'll do wrestling rules. Our kids can do it all. So, yeah, they, they adapt. They know that, for example, when they shoot a single, they can't have their head on the outside. They know when they do judo, they can't touch the legs. You know, they know. So um, if they're getting ready for a big competition, then we'll do a lot of, you know, make sure they, they, they're in tune with the rules. But, um, yeah, we definitely have a format. Uh, we have a curriculum for everything. We're, you know, we're probably one of the most structured academies, you know, maybe in the world. We, we, we work really hard to be. So, uh, but if, if someone's getting ready for a judo competition, then they'll do more judo than jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we mix it up. Are you, are you a fan of like the growth of the, like submission only tournaments and, and seeing that kind of change things or do you? Do you like the the more traditional shorter time limit with with points and advantages? I think it's all. I think all of it is good. Okay. I think uh, even that 
what is it the uh and i'm gonna i apologize but there's the new world that's southern california i think my brother he, he competed in one with it i don't know if you know the name of it but i know there's the ibjjf i think uh having competition in organizations is, is, is excellent um you know and they'll have their own following and and it'll, it'll all grow i don't think one organization should control everything uh, um but I think it's. I think it's. I think it's good. I think the only thing, like even Naga, Naga. The only thing I have with like the rules is like when a when a child gets used to a certain rules and brings that into like IBJJF. You know that gets a little dangerous. So for example, like guillotines is good in kids divisions in Naga, not good in IBJJF. And uh, I had one of my students actually get a concussion because there was a guillotine applied and the kid pulled guard and the kid's head went into the mat. So, like, that's legal in Naga, but not in IBJJF. So, like, certain things like that, you just got to be really careful as a coach. You know, your kids really have to understand cross-training and be able to adjust the rules. And to be honest, they're, they're, they're pretty good at that, but it definitely needs a lot of coaching. Yeah. It's always disappointing when you see somebody uh, lose or, or get penalized, and basically they just don't understand the rules that they're fighting under. Um, that's that's part of training is to learn what you're getting into and, and to learn what you can and cannot do. Exactly. And then, obviously, the the academy needs to, you know, I'll tell some of my kids, okay, I don't think you're ready for this tournament. I'll straight tell them, like, okay, you're not, you know, I'd rather you stick to it. And they go, awesome, cool. And it's, you know, it, it works really well. Like, none of our kids get hurt. You know, it's, it's you know, it's we're very controlled. I, I like IBJJF rules. I like a lot of the rules that are coming out. As long as it's not crazy, like kids doing, MMA, you know, striking the head, get knocked out, or, or yeah. heel hooks, or stuff like that. As long as we, as a, a community, you know, control that, because it's not worth getting hurt. You yeah. know, it's, it's just not. Especially as a, I mean, when I was a kid, in my mind, I could not get hurt, and I got hurt all the time. But I didn't really realize that what I'm about to do, I'm going to ramp my bike down this crazy ramp. It's probably going to hurt right after I do it. I didn't even see that coming. Like it was, it was, it was a total shock to me that I would get hurt doing something. And as an adult, yeah, I, it's even, opposite now. <laughs> yeah, and you don't even get promoted for doing that. <laughs> no one's giving you a no one's giving you a yellow belt for riding a bike down a, down a road. That you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> there's no good reason to do it. <laughs> there's no long term goal there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, but at the same time, kids are very resilient. Yeah amazing that's one thing i've learned because i teach kids a lot and i'm like you know a lot of people don't understand the potential of children they don't, they really don't you know you just give a kid a positive environment and good support like we talked about they can do anything and they can still have a positive outlook on life it, it doesn't have to take that away from them too it's, ama- it's an amazing thing yeah it does do you uh like keep track of how the kids are doing in school or do do you kind of leave that for the parents to no that's definitely i mean the way we look at it we don't raise the kids of course that's the parents obligation but it's definitely teamwork yeah and i think that's what a lot of families are, are looking for is obviously trust with the academy you know professionalism but uh definitely you know, like it takes a, what is it, it takes a village. So yeah, we're all, you know, we, 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 we 
are very involved in, in making sure, again, a positive tone is applied uh, to all aspects of life, even diet. Uh, because if you have those three, you, you know, again, your your ratio of success in any aspect of life increases. It's very so. It's a positive, uh, healthy, uh, you know, thing. Now we don't. Again, it's not. You know, it's not forced. It's it's it's. There's a tone there. It's applied. Look, you know, how how's he doing in school? Da, 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 or but most for the most part, the parents come up and just talk to us. Yeah, yeah. About it. So they let you know if he's doing he's got an F in science or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'll tell you right now, for the most part, like. Almost all the time, it's it's like the grades are better. Because yeah, they, they get that confidence. It, they it, get the the drive, amazing. and you know, because they they understand. Because that's why belt systems to me it's so important. Because you put the hard work in, you're going to get a belt. Period. Yeah, and and that they they can't just have one. Uh, I would say uh, source of you know reward system. Because if you just have one thing, you're like, well, maybe something else is, is easier or better. When you are when you go to jiu-jitsu and you have a reward system, you go to school, you have a reward system, you go, okay, this is how the world works. If I work really hard, I'm going to be rewarded. My, my, I would say, level of productivity in all aspects increases. Two plus two is four. To me, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very simple concept that, that is a truism. Yeah. What would you say would be a good goal um, for for an adult student, or I guess a kid, for the first year of training? Uh, each academy definitely has you know specific goals, but I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to get my guard passed so easily. I mean, these are small increment goals, I think, uh, that you can look to strive for. Um, but I think even more important than that is, is first goal is attendance. Like, yeah. there's a lot of people that We'll, tr- we'll nibble and say, I don't like that. Or dabble. I say dabble. Like, uh, certain things aren't for everybody, but uh, I'm trying to think of a, a skill set. I don't know, fishing, or I don't, I don't care what it is. And they do it barely once. Yeah. That's not, you're not getting a, a, a perspective at all. Like traveling. There's a difference between, you know, a three-month trip or a year trip in Japan, as an American, then there is, I was there on a layover, and then I went to, and I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and and people say that all the time, but that's, that's, that's just, it's very unfair to have your, like, opinion about something when you haven't, you know, given it a shot. I've lived in Japan for three months. It's the longest track. I've done that in Brazil, too. I have more of a perspective than I was there for a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I had to actually get into the language, and I had to, like, speak Japanese and, you know, kind of, like, put a Japanese hat on or, or framework, or we call eyeglasses, like in sociology. Like, you're putting different eyeglasses on. You actually have to see through different lenses uh, to appreciate it. So I think the first goal for, you know, new new anybody is just do it. Nike was the, the greatest slogan of all time <laughs> of anything ever created in the universe. Just do it. Make it a repetition. Make it conditioning. I wake up, I go to practice. Almost robotic. I think that's. Then along the way, you're gonna you're gonna you know you're gonna find small incremental goals. 
and and have fun with it. Smile. You know, cool. you're going to get tapped. That's the experience. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's it. I just try. I just try to work. I just work really hard on not letting it happen to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> But it's definitely part of the experience of being a, a new student is getting tapped and getting getting in, in weird positions yeah. with people you don't know and, and getting, you know, it's there's a lot of weird stuff coming at you that you're not used to and and, it, and it's uncomfortable, yeah. you know, and, and it's sometimes painful. So yeah. you can't experience that sure. once or twice and think you understand whether you're going to like it or not. Yeah, exactly. You know, learn to control your emotions. That's not a goal. Like I said, like, jiu-jitsu is not just about on bars. <laughs> you know, it, it, and this is for adults, too. It's about being a better person. Yeah. You know, and that's not saying that when people come into me, they're not good people at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. Like, you know, you, you will increase your quality of life, period, in all aspects. Because you're around like-minded people in a safe environment. That's that's what's most important about martial arts. And, and with that, you're able to control your emotions on a level that you wouldn't be normal. Because we're all human beings, like yeah. I said, we all have up and ups and downs. That's what martial arts is about. Wow. It's not about punching someone in the face. That's not really what it's about. I, I think people get caught up in that, but it's, that's not. It's about respect, honor, and and admitting something is bigger than myself. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's really like nicely summed up, and and uh, it sh- shows. I mean, you've got so many you know top level competitors. And you still got this philosophy about, you know, why you're in here training. You, you're improving your whole life. You're not just, you know, focused on one goal that's going to end at this date, and then and then then you're done. It's it's yeah. getting a better life. It's training with good people. It's 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 the whole thing. I'm loving it. What would be a good way for somebody to get a hold of you or keep up with what you're doing? Uh, definitely through the website, either DaveCamarillo.com or. Uh I think it's GorillaJJ.com. I'm also on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Always positive on social media. Um, If you want to get a hold of me, uh, yeah, I mean, those avenues are are ideal. There's there's an email on the the website. Uh, Sounds good. And I'll put a link to those on on the page when it comes out. I appreciate the opportunity, man. I had fun. It was good. Well, thank you. All right. Well, uh, thanks for everything, and uh, get a hold of me if you ever need anything. Okay. Thank you. Yep. I'll talk to you later. All right. We'll see you. Yep. Bye. All right. That was an interview with Dave Camarillo. Uh, really had a good time talking with him and, and uh, get such a guy like that on the show. It was a pleasure, and I'm glad to bring his insight to the to the audience, and hopefully you guys had as much fun as I did. Next week, we have a big episode. Uh, Submission Series 902 is coming up on uh, Friday, January 23rd, and we do a preview of that. Um, It's featuring uh, the best grapplers from that area, the area code 902. Um, They're in Nova Scotia, and then they bring in uh, other athletes for them to compete with. A lot of great guys, a lot of... of, We've done, uh, I think it was six interviews of athletes, and and one of the guy who's putting it on, uh, Cat Clark, so uh, they're not all hour-long interviews. They're the average 10 to 15 minutes. So it's short, but it's good to see all these little glimpses of these guys who are getting ready to compete and who are um, uh, training for a submission-only event and see what's going through their minds and, and what they're up to. So it was a lot of fun re- uh, recording those interviews, and 
as of right now, I'm getting them spliced together, so that should be it'll be done. Uh, like we every Monday, we've got one coming out. So, and then the episode after that, we have uh, Rafael Lovato Jr. on. So yeah. you definitely don't want to miss that show. As we know, Rafael Lovato Jr. is one of the best grapplers in the world, so uh, he's going to share some insight with us, and uh, we're we're honored to have him. Yep, that was another uh, fun interview. So, and that will be so. Uh, Submission series interview come their podcast comes out on the twelfth, and then uh, Lovato Jr. comes out on the nineteenth. So, every Monday, my friends. So that'll give you some time to plan, so you're ready, and don't forget. Get on our email list, and uh, we can send you send you an email to remind you. So, yeah, and plus we can send you the the audio the short audio uh, audio clips there. Yep, so, you know, there's two free audio books, and I'm I'm hoping to make some more on there. I just said more on hoping to make some more and put them up there uh, next week. Carrie, good news, man. Dave What's Camar- the good news? Dave Camarillo gave us a quote of the week, so we're off to so, doing it on our own, and oh, we get him it was to do be it. My turn since you took this week. <laughs> But he does it, and he's he's got a good one. It's one so, of the things he's really passionate about. So it's a it's a real real good quote. Looking forward to that, um, guys. Uh, if you want to help the podcast out, we do appreciate uh, five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. It really helps get the podcast out there and seen by more people. Um, if you want to write a funny review, uh, we we really enjoy those. Um, and we'll read it on air too. Yeah. And if you live in the United States, we'll be happy to send you out a BJJ Brick Gee Patch. Uh, nothing super crazy, but we'll, there's you can find them online there. They're not for sale. You have to, there's only one way to get them, I guess. Is, is <laughs> we make it a little bit you. harder. <laughs> <laughs> you can't buy them. <laughs> so, but uh, but I'll, I'll you know I, I I just don't feel like setting up the payment process to sell a Gee Patch. So basically, when you write a funny review, email us at bjjbrick at gmail dot com. I'll put a patch in an envelope and send it out to you. Uh, pretty simple. Yeah, definitely. Or you can email us uh, and any questions you have at uh, bjjbrick at gmail.com. You can send us a message there on Facebook there also. And and we, we love getting your messages and your likes every week. And, and we really appreciate it. We get a um, – here lately we've been getting some emails there from our buddy Andy Dickey. And we really appreciate, uh, appreciate his input. Yeah, we love – really digging the feedback. Um, the, the Facebook, uh, message on the, on the fan page there is really nice because we both will see that. And, uh, and usually I have to forward the, Gar- the, the Gmail messages to Gary, but, yeah, uh, Byron won't give me the password. <laughs> it's super, super scary. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just something about Gary and I don't want to tell, to tell him. It's too weird. No, but, uh, but the, the, the way, the, if you message us on Facebook, we'll both get to see it. And we do notice when, you know, we really appreciate you guys liking the posts and, and things like that. We always notice who's who's liking them more, who's consistent and liking them several times. You know, that's really cool. Yep. And if you have any ideas for for articles of the week or uh, somebody to interview, we're definitely uh, open to that. And we've done that numerous times from people uh, telling us about an article or saying, hey, here's my instructor, here's my buddy, he's a good guy to interview. So, yeah. uh, you know, we, we always appreciate the help and, and we appreciate all you guys are listening to us. Absolutely. Also have a Twitter account, um, Instagram. <laughs> oh, we got Instagram now. Yeah, it's been up there for a while. I I just don't. I missed that meeting. Out. Did you? Yeah. I hope you're putting cover letters in your TPS reports there, Gary. My TPS reports are a little lacking, but oh well. <laughs> so catch us next week, guys. Hey, if you're in the Wichita, we're me and Gary are both in Wichita, Kansas. If you're gonna come by the area, 
uh, hit us up and we'll be happy to train with you. And we appreciate you listening. Get out there on the mats, have some fun, and use that brick. Yeah, we'll catch you next week, my friends. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>